chapter 1, if you will. <clears throat> We're going to go back in here, verse 1 again. Uh, Ricky asked me, I said, well, you, this needs to be B because it's the second, but we're going to have a couple more in the first verse as well. And um, I was asked, you know, why are you going so slow over stuff that we kind of already know? And it's really because <laughs> it's a foundational book and it's information that needs to be there. We need to have an understanding of. And when we do that, then also we're doing it for the Internet and YouTubers and all that stuff. So it's good to have all the information there. And it's good for you and I to be reminded of, uh, of the information as well. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. And uh, we looked last time at Paul, so we got the first word, but I want to go in this morning and kind of clean some stuff up about uh, what we were looking at last time. Uh, he is our apostle, and again, it's we come to this new book. We come to this book here that uh, it's Romans is the title, and Paul's the first word, so it's a shock. And uh, come over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, there's some things here that we just didn't have the time last time to look at, and I, I want to do it so that we have it, one, for the record, and two, for you and I to again, be reminded of some of this, where Paul does not qualify to be an apostle. When God laid out the qualifications in Acts 1, which is you have to be with me from the beginning, John's baptism, all the way to the resurrection. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Lord says, drop what you're doing, follow me. Okay? The, the, Lord, the Lord is <laughs> he's such a wonderful person. When you study what he did in the Gospels, he, he says, I didn't come to unify. I came to divide. You know, the world out there has this wacky idea that Christians are supposed to be unifi unifiers. Christ was not a unifier. He was a divider. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to divide dad, husband and wife. I'm going to divide mom from her kids and dad from his kids. I, and, and sisters from brothers, I'm a divider. Because if you don't follow me, then you're on the wrong side. And when he does that, Paul, and he establishes those criteria, Saul of Tarsus, Saul who was also called Paul. Saul of Tarsus was on, sitting on the wrong side of the wall. And Paul alerts us to that, 1 Corinthians 15 Verse number 5, he says and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto the present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. 
And again there, Paul disqualifies himself. I am not meet to be an apostle. I don't meet those qualifications. And we were talking last time about how God, <laughs> he kind of violated his own word and his own criteria, but yet he really didn't because he reaches in and changes the program. But I want to catch a phrase in verse 8 as Paul is describing him not being qualified to be an apostle. And it's that phrase, as one born out of due time. We, we usually just kind of read over that and, and move along. But it's something here that Paul uses this phrase not to describe a natural birth. You know, we just had a young couple have their first. And you have a natural birth and, you, and everything is successful. But when he says one born out of due time, he's rather talking about a violent birth, a stillborn situation. A death has happened. Something that's going on here that is, that, that's, that's not a good thing. It's rather a bad thing. It's rather something that, that is, is violent and it's severe and it's a, it's a shock to the system. Come back with me to Numbers chapter 12. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 12. There's several places where this is described and talked about. And it's something that Paul reaches back and grabs this idea to talk about his apostleship was something that was violent. It was a, it was a stillborn situation. <laughs> it, 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 was, it wasn't a miscarriage. Sometimes people think about that. But it was a stillborn. It was something that was violent. It was unexpected. Numbers chapter 12. If you look at verse 12, let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is hath consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. That's, I just want you to catch the description there. That's not a good thing. He's half consumed in the birth, birth. He's dead. That's what Paul's talking about. He's describing a baby born dead there, calf consumed. It, it, let not her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. There, there, that, that's not something that's just, oh, you know, though, whoops. No, th that's something very specific. Come over with me to the book of Job. Job chapter 3. <clears throat> Job chapter 3. So when Paul says, as one born out of due time, it's not a flippant little phrase. It's actually a phrase that has a lot going on in it dispensationally. Chapter 3 here of Job. Job says, verse 1, After this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. <laughs> he curses his birthday. He curses the day he's born. And Job spake and said, Let the day perish when I was born. And the night in which it was said, there is a man-child conceived. I mean, Job is ruined the day he was even born. Let that day perish. Verse 11. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? I, Job's wishing he had been dead, all the stuff that's been going on. <laughs> but notice how he describes that, that situation about why didn't I just die? Why wasn't I stillborn? 
Why wasn't, why? why? Verse 16. Or as a hidden, here it is, untimely birth, I had not been as infants which never saw light. See that issue of untimely birth? That's being born out of due time. It's an untimely thing. We've seen the pictures, in, you know, where the little babies are born early, premature. That's, uh, come over to Psalms 58. That, that's kind of the idea here. There's an untimely birth. Psalms 58. <coughs> <coughs> this isn't a good thing. <laughs> it's something that means things aren't right, you know. Usually when you have a, when a lady has a miscarriage, there means there's something wrong going on in the body. When Linda, when we were pregnant with Emily and her twin, we miscarried the twin. There was something not right there. And as we sat with the doctors, they were explaining that, that your body is a wonderful thing. To, they were impressed that they discarded the one twin and kept Emily. <laughs> you know, they, they were impressed with that. And I told the guys, so don't call it a miracle, just be impressed with it, <laughs> you know. But see, the thing is, is an untimely birth. Psalms 58, look at verse number 8. As a snail which melteth, let every one of them pass away, like the untimely birth of a woman, that they may not see the sun. That's a bad thing right there. That's going on <clears throat> when in the congregation with David and so forth. Like an untimely birth of a woman. You come over to Ecclesiastes 6. <laughs> this is a shocker to the system. Ecclesiastes 6, verse number 3. So it's a bad thing here. So when Paul says, I'm one born out of due time, that's not a good thing for the nation of Israel. That means something is wrong that's going on here. Ecclesiastes 6 and verse 3. If a man begat a hundred children <clears throat> and live many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he hath no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. You know what, it would be, if you, didn't, if you didn't have a good life and you get down to the end and everything, it'd have been better if you weren't even born than to have a hundred kids and a big legacy and it not be a good thing. He, he's not a, that's not a good thing. So when you come back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, when Paul says, hey, I'm one born out of due time, God had to kill Saul of Tarsus. He had to put to death. And Paul is explaining an untimely death, Roman, uh, Acts chapter number 9, on the road to Damascus, where he had to kill, God had to render him dead to the prophetic program, to Israel's program. He had to do away with him. I am one born out of due time. He's, that's why God's able to call him to be an apostle. Uh, come, on, come back over to Matthew chapter 12. You see, folks, he, 
God's doing something different now. So what did God have to do? He had to kill off Israel and her program. Not literally kill Israel off, but the program. The dispensational issue. In Matthew 12, if you look there at verse 31 and 32, here's why he had to, had to take care of Saul of Tarsus. Matthew 12, verse 31, Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemes shall be forgiven unto men, but the blaspheme against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. We saw that on the cross. The Lord says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it was. The charge was moved from murder to manslaughter through the law of ignorance. But the Holy Ghost blaspheme can't be forgiven. Then he says, by whoso, verse 32, by whoso, But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, right now, present time, neither in the world to come. So in order for Saul of Tarsus, we looked last time there at 1 Timothy 1, he was a blasphemer and an injure and persecutor. And he wreaked havoc on the church. He did all of that. In order for him to be usable of God, what would have had to happen? God had to change the program. He had to kill off the prophetic program. He had to bring to, uh, come back over to Galatians 1. He had to bring all that to a conclusion. Because Saul of Tarsus had blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, Acts 7 with the stoning of Stephen, the, the, the picture of the last hurrah against um, <clears throat> the last indictment there against the leadership of Israel of killing. They had killed the father when they killed John the Baptist. They killed the son in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the stoning of Stephen, they kill off the Holy Ghost. And it can't be forgiven. That's why Stephen sees the Lord standing. It's been done. It can't, can't be forgiven then nor out there in the world to come. And when Stephen in Acts 7 says, Father, don't hold it to their account, there's no response from the Father because he has to hold it to their account. He has to deal with them now in wrath and judgment. That's why Saul of Tarsus standing there and consenting unto his death, part of the program, part of that. Acts 8.1, what does he do? He's out wreaking havoc, going after them. That's why in Acts 9, in the road to Damascus, when the Lord stopped Saul of Tarsus, and he says, who are you, Lord? You know, Paul's, don't, please don't say Jesus. (laughs) Please don't say Jesus. (laughs) Please don't. And he does. And then, well, how could he have done that? Instead of wrath and war and, and judgment, he pours out peace and grace and mercy. How could he do that? Well, they had fallen in Acts 7, and he had changed the dispensation. Because now God's going to go do something different. So Paul says, the only reason I'm here, the only reason I'm an apostle, is because God had rendered me dead. I was born out of due time. I was an untimely birth. I was a stillborn. I was (laughs) half-consumed. I was not right. I was not supposed to have been there. But yet God did it. 
And Paul, Galatians 1, describing his stillbirth here, if you will. <clears throat> describes uh, how the Lord, how he was a stillborn, and that's, he was, his mother was killed. Israel is set aside. Look at verse 13, Galatians 1, 13. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Beyond measure, on purpose, he did this. This wasn't an accident of, oh, man, that just kind of happened. <laughs> this was on purpose, planned. I profited in the Jews' religion, verse 14, above many my equal in my own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the traditions of my fathers. I wasted it, profitable. I was leading the charge. Verse 15, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, there it is, and called me by his grace. He separated me out of due time, untimely death, separated me from my mother's womb. I was stillborn. Yeah, you ever hear the, the stories from time to time when there's a pregnant mom and she gets killed in an accident and they go in and they remove the baby and try to save the child. Paul says, my mom, by the way, chapter 4, verse 26, says that the mother of us all, which is Jerusalem, he's talking about Israel. He says, I was a part of that program over there in Israel's prophetic program. I was leading the charge and God had to, he killed my mother. And then when he did, he reached in and he pulled and he separated me out. Caused a stillbirth to happen. I was stillborn. God set Israel. He dealt with Israel. Hold on to Galatians 1. Come back to Romans 11. <clears throat> Romans 11. Romans chapter 11. We're going to come back to Galatians 1. So, But I just, I hope you catch what's going on here. Paul, Paul says, I'm not a qualified to be an apostle because I did all of this. But then he uses that term about being still, out, one out of due time. And it's not something that he just, it was eloquent to write. <laughs> it's got something going on about what God did and had to do to make him. That's why the next verse says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. See, God was doing something here. Romans 11, we'll start in verse 11. I say then, have they, and the they here is Israel, stumbled that they should fall, God forbid, but rather through their salvation, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Always remember the end of verse 11. Because that's what Paul was doing in the Acts period. From Acts 9 to 28, that's what he was doing. Provoking them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of them and the diminishing of them. So they fall and now they're going to diminish. Verse 13. For the, I speak unto you, to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are the flesh, and might save some of them. Now watch verse 15. For if the 
casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but, notice, life from the dead? Israel is dead. Notice it's casting away, not casting aside. Aside would indicate that there's a potential to use them again. Casting away, there is no potential to use them again. They're done. Life from the what? The dead. Israel, Paul describing Israel's condition, and he likens it to them being dead. By the way, doesn't Israel have to be born again? See, we're not talking about the physical thing. We're talking about the spiritual side. When God looked at Paul on the road to Damascus, he didn't physically kill Paul. Because Paul got up and went into town. He was blinded and off he went. But what did he do to him spiritually? He killed him. What is he doing to Israel spiritually? Killing them. Setting them aside. Not setting them aside to use them again, but he's casting them away. Very specific language in here, by the way. Because look at verse 25. You see, in God's eyes, Israel is dead. So they're going to need to be born again, and he'll take care of that. That's what that life from the dead is about. The only way that God can call Paul to be an apostle without really violating his word, the criteria, is he has to shut down time past. He's got to kill off that program. He's got to kill Israel. Now look at verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, and so all Israel shall be saved. So it's a temporal situation. They will be born again. They will be taken. Uh, their program does come back, and off it runs. Now go back to Galatians 1. So Paul, one born out of due time, Israel had to die in order for Paul to be called. The program, Israel's program, it had to die for him to be called. Now if you look here in Galatians 1 and verse 15 again, By the way, the dispensational change is what allows all this to happen. God didn't cheat. He didn't lie. He didn't pull a fast one. He didn't con anybody out of anything. He just reached down and changed the way he's dealing with mankind. And that's key here. That's critical in this. Because when you come to Romans 1 verse 1, Paul called a servant of Jesus Christ called to be. (laughs) Where did Paul come from? Who is this guy? Well, he's one that the Lord had to do some things with. And in doing that, he set, he cast away Israel and her program. And he was righteous in doing it, and he was just in doing it. Now look at verse 15, Galatians 1.15. But when it what? Please God. He's not angry at Israel. You see that? It pleased God. It brought God great pleasure 
to shut Israel's program down. Why? So he could go do something else. So he could go over now and start a new program that would bring great attention to his great wisdom, that would bring great attention to his great plan, his great grace. See, it pleased God. It, you know, God never didn't say what he said back there to Noah in Noah's day, I, man, it repented me of making man. Or, he didn't say that at all. He said, hey, this, is, this new program, the secret, we're going to reveal it now, it's going to bring great glory to the Godhead. So it pleased him to do it. I, I just, I don't know, man, verse 15, it pleased God. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I look at it, I go, man, it, he was happy to do it. He wasn't angry. By the way, if you look there, he says, and he called me by his grace. Why? To reveal his son. Notice, in me. He's revealing his son where? In Paul. He's the first one in a pattern of a long list, a long line of people who are coming after him. That's fantastic. That I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, and off he goes. Come back to 1 Corinthians 15. You see, folks, he called me by his grace. He, Paul's saying here, he dispensed his grace to someone who didn't qualify who, who wasn't even able to even be mentioned in the same breath as the little flock because of who he was and what he was doing. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. That's why I am the apostle to the Gentiles. Because it was God's grace. And by the way, <clears throat> I'm the apostle, come back to Romans 1, to who? To the Gentiles, an unqualified group of people. Gen Romans 1. He says, I'm the unqualified apostle, and I'm sent to an unqualified group of people. Genesis, Romans, Genesis 1. Romans 1, verse number 5 by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among who? All nations for his name. So now it's a all nations. The first time that he's going to go to all the nations. He, Paul's sitting here going, man, I'm the apostle. I didn't qualify. I was born out of due time. I was a stillbirth. I was violently. He had to kill my mom, Israel, and rip me out of her and all this stuff. And it was an untimely death. And I'm sent to a group of people who God wouldn't even give the time of day to in that program. <coughs> God hasn't had any dealings with the nations till now in any substantive manner. Look down at verse 13, Romans 1, verse 13. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren. Romans 1, 13. You, you know how you don't, you know how you're not, you know what fixes the ignorant brethren? Truth. <laughs> Truth does. 
He says, I wouldn't have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarian, both to the wise and to the unwise. You see, the Greeks and the barbarians, the wise and the unwise, those people were, all, were always... In, in time past, they were just kind of left out. They were not even discussed. Come over to chapter 15 of Romans. Romans 15. <clears throat> and again, <clears throat> I realize that for most of us, this is kind of a reminder. But I'm trying to do it in a different little different manner, if you will. And, you know, that born out of due time thing has always been interesting to me. And the untimely thing there. Romans 15, Paul here in verse 16, he says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost hey, my job was to make that unqualified group of people over there, the all nations, the Gentiles, the Greeks, the barbarian, the wise, the unwise. Uh, come over to 1 Corinthians 1. <clears throat> These group of people, acceptable. How? Being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. That was my job, Paul say. 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 26, 1 Corinthians 1, 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. <laughs> not many wise, not many noble. Verse 28, In the base things of the world and the things which are despised, Hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are? Man, we're the, we're the deplorables, if you will. <laughs> Use a little political term there for you. You see, we didn't qualify. Come on over to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2, probably the best description here of the situation back there in Israel. That's why God had to kill off the time past the, the prophetic program. He had to shut it down. Not to use it again. By the way, in the ages to come, the prophetic program will continue to be fulfilled, but it's not going to operate the same way it did in the Old Testament. It now is going to operate under the new covenant mandate rather than the old covenant mandate. See? So that old system is never, doesn't have a potential to ever be used again by the believing remnant. That's why he would say in Hebrews, we're not going to go back to the doctrines of Christ and the baptisms and all that. We're going to move on to perfection now. We're not going to rehash all that stuff out. We're going to move on over here. Why? Because that believing remnant, they're, not going, to, they're going to function under the messianic, not the mosaic. So he's shutting it down. He's... Never, not going to use it anymore. We, now there's prophecies to be fulfilled, yes. That's why, by the way, Hebrews through Revelation is, are not 
Well, the book of Revelation is prophetic, but Hebrews through Jude is not prophetic. It's just it's epistles. It's how to, they're going to get through the, the, de, the, de, the details of life. Ephesians 2, verse 11. You see, you've got to have all that in your mind when you think about this stuff. Verse 11. Ephesians 2.11, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. So we got a bunch of name calling back there, don't we, in time past. That at that time, back in time past, ye Gentiles were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That's what Romans 11 is talking about, the commonwealth there. And strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. We're pretty washed up, weren't we? We're pretty hopeless back there in time past. We were uncircumcised. The greatest characteristics of time past is the, is, the, is the difference between being circumcised and uncircumcised. You go read Genesis 17, where he gives in the, the sign of circumcision, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, circumcision. Here it is. If you were going to go down there and be circumcised, and you're on the right side of the middle wall of partition... <clears throat> the wall is up. God re erected a wall that divided out man. King said that he's going to divide mankind. And he did. And he said, hey, if you're my people and you obey my word, you're going to get circumcised the eighth day. You're going to do all. Could you imagine Abraham? He's over 100 years and he goes down there and gets circumcised. The physical activity, the cutting away of the flesh. At eight days, you don't remember it. I would have figured at 101 you'd remember it, or a hundy, you'd think about it, okay? But yet he goes and does it. Why? Because that's what the Word of God to him was. And if you didn't, then you were cut off from the people, from the land, from the promise. There it was. We were aliens. We were without Christ. <clears throat> that's, that, that's very fascinating. You were without Christ. Look back at Romans 9. Hold on to Ephesians. Look at Romans 9. I think about this, and I know that we live in the but now, and we've, really, we've never lived in time past. But when you think about the conditions, I'm glad we didn't. We don't. But look at Romans 9. Look at verse number... Well, verse 4 and 5, but look at verse 5. Whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ, what? Came. Why did, in, in, we're going to have, we got Christmas coming. Everybody's celebrating the birth of Christ. We know the birth of Christ wasn't December 25th. It's late September. We know that this time of the year was when the conception happened. Okay, but Satan doesn't want you celebrating the conception, because that would be the virgin birth, the real miracle. He wants you to focus on the birth, which was a normal, natural birth. <clears throat> Why did he come? Why was the Lord born? Not for you and I, but for who? For Israel. 
to be their Messiah, to be their Redeemer. But in the Old Testament, if Israel is doing what she's supposed to do, then she's going to go where? To the Gentiles. That was the mode. You see, he didn't come to, to die for a bunch of Gentiles. He came to die. He, came, he says, I came to seek the lost of Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's who he came for. It isn't until we get the revelation given to us by Paul that we understand he had a secret agenda going on at Calvary. Not in his earthly ministry, but at Calvary. So when you come back to Ephesians 2 here, there's a lot going on back there. No wonder he had to kill it off. Because he had to make his salvation available to who? To all nations. Verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometime, ye who sometimes were, what? Far? Well, if we're without Christ and we're outside of the commonwealth, in the middle, on the wrong side of the middle wall of partition, we're without God, we have no hope, we're strangers, we're aliens, the original aliens, from outer space, Ooh. <laughs> you know, we were what? Far off. But now, we're what? Made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. When did he do that? Acts 7. When he interrupted, he killed off Israel's program, casted it away, threw it away, said, I'm going to go do something now, new, with a group of people. And that group of people are going to go and work, and work for me and serve for me in the heavenly places. And they're going to be the group, that agency that I'm going to use to recapture and re, reorganize the heavens out there. And I'm going to start with the leader of the rebellion down here, Saul of Tarsus. And he's going to be, he's disqualified. But he's going to go talk to a disqualified group of people. Come back to Numbers 23. I just want to remind us about, you know, that great, that wall of partition. God put it up. He established the wall. Well, if he put it up, what can he do? Take it down. <laughs> Numbers 23. <coughs> and... Um, you got Numbers 23? We'll get Matthew 28, just real quick. Kill a couple birds with one stone here. Just because this gets used. Matthew 28, the, the end of the, the book here. We're studying Matthew on Wednesday night. And uh, he, there's an interesting thing here in Matthew 28. The Lord goes up, he visits with the apostles up in the mountain. And uh, he says to him, verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He's the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He has the, he has the power now. In Matthew 4, in his temptation, he did not have the power. Now he does. Because he went to Calvary, he died, death didn't have a grip on him, and he rose again the third day. So he has the power. 
And he says to them, Go ye therefore, ye little flock, believing remnant, and teach who? All nations. Isn't that interesting? Now in Acts 1, he fixes this and he says, You're going to start in Jerusalem. Then you're going to go to Judea, then to Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the world. There's an order. So people use the all nations here and say, see, you ought to be over there and you're doing this and you're doing that and you better be over there in Israel and you got to be doing this and you got to, okay, because they make us the what? The spiritual Israel. You with me? But look at Numbers 23 and verse number 9. He's talking to a group of people that fit this criteria. Numbers 23 verse 9. From the, from, for from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. This is Balaam and Balak talking. Balaam's talking to Balak. Lo, the people shall dwell alone, and shall not be reckoned among the nations. So if you try to do Matthew 28 and go preach the gospel, you cannot go to the nation of Israel. Because they are not a part of the all nations in Matthew 28. They are reckoned, they are what? Not be reckoned among the nations. That's God's attitude about Israel. They're not one of the Gentile nations out there. They are my people. They belong to me. He tells them in Deuteronomy, you are the head, not the tail. I, put, I separated you, and I put you at the top of the pecking order. That's why on that chart, Israel sits on the top. Come over to Isaiah, chapter number 40. Maybe some of this you haven't thought about or considered. <clears throat> but, is, but the Gentiles were not qualified to be even approached. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, you have a, a chapter that's going to match the book of Matthew. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah. Each chapter matches the corresponding book. And I know what people say, well, what about Romans the Philemon? Because all that's uh, um, mystery and they didn't know. But the tone and the tenor of those books is what matches in Isaiah 66 books. And one day I'll do a little message on the complete Bible and the book of Isaiah. <laughs> you go and you start in, in chapter 1 there and you've got some creation information. Anyway, chapter 40. <clears throat> Here's um, verse number 15. Sorry, Matthew 40, verse 15. Note Isaiah 40. Sorry, Isaiah 40 and verse 15. Now I'm thinking about Isaiah. <laughs> and I don't want to get off on that rabbit trail trying to show you. Isaiah 40, verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little Thing. Boy, look at what God's estimation of the nations are. A, a drop of a bucket. The dust of the balance. 
you know, you got the balance thing and you put all that on there and they're just the little, very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. We didn't rate very good, did we? We're a disqualified people, aren't we? We have a disqualified apostle who's going to a disqualified group of people, all the nations. See, folks, God's view of the Gentiles is not just nothing. It is less than nothing <laughs> and vanity, emptiness, foolishness, nothing there. Ouch. Now, I know in, in Acts, Paul says God was gracious to the nations and that he gave them rain and so forth, and I got that. But his attitude toward dealing with them is less than nothing. <laughs> Come over to Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3, verse 9. Joel chapter 3 and verse 9. You see, folks, when Paul, when we start Romans, and we're, we have started, we're in verse 1. <coughs> and we talk about that disqualified apostle. He then is going to now talk to the disqualified people. Joel 3 and verse number 9. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. I've come to love you and have given you all things and will make... No... Prepare war. Wake up the, the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. What's he calling them to do? He's calling them to war. It's, it's time for some judgment. Go on, get yourself, get, get your little puny little plowshares and beat them into swords and pruning hooks. Get, just get that little puny little chest and puff it up out there like you think you're something. Let's go to war. What did Ephesians 2 say? Christ is our peace. Isn't that interesting? Here, back here in Israel's program, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. You see, he had to kill off Israel's prophetic program by simply changing the dispensation so that he could then take that disqualified apostle and send him to a disqualified group of people with a message, Matthew 10, of grace and peace and mercy and long-suffering. He had to. Otherwise, he couldn't have. Because he would have violated his word, and he doesn't violate his word. Matthew 10, verse number 5, talking about the apostles, these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles. Isn't that interesting? They're not to go in the way of the Gentiles. <clears throat> when they were coming up to a Gentile city, they were actually supposed to go around it. They weren't even supposed to cut through it. Quickest route, Google says A to B, right through it. P 
Peter says, nope, we're going around, boys. And off they go. Nor into, the, into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. That's the northern ten tribes that have gone off into, Samar- into Syria and been taken over. And the Samaritans, that, that Samaritan woman at the well, she says, hey, we've been... The, the Samaritans, they don't give Jerusalem its authority. They go to Dan and to Bethel and to other places. And they don't acknowledge Jerusalem as the city of the great king. By the way, in, in Acts 8... Philip visits the Ethiopian, a type of a Gentile. He's been to Jerusalem looking for the light. Found nothing in Jerusalem because Jerusalem is off in darkness. And then you have him go to the Samaritans. And what are they looking for? Light. They're ready. But yet Jerusalem isn't. A picture spiritually of what's happened. The world is ready. The Samaritans, the Gentiles are all ready. And yet Israel isn't. Whacked them. You're dead. He cut down the tree. Remember that year, the parable there in Luke where he said, give me another year and let me dung around the tree, see if it produces. And if not, we can cut it down. What did he do? He cut it down. It's done. By the way, verse 6, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Let's go out there and get the folks who really are on board. Come back, come on over to chapter 15 of Matthew. Chapter 15. Chapter 15, starting in verse 21, you see the, the Syrophoenician woman here. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. But my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. People, oh, Jesus loved everybody. No, he didn't. Oh, Jesus came, he would have healed everybody. No, he didn't. He didn't answer her a word. And she acknowledges him correctly, by the way. Now, he's going to talk to her in a minute, but he does it because for the apostles that are watching. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You see, he's teaching the disciples (laughs) some, some doctrinal stuff here. Because then she does come, doesn't she? And she said, Lord, help me. You see, she comes the right way. She comes out of faith. Faith in who he was, or who he is, sorry. O Lord, thou son of David, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord. See, she's not arguing with him, is she? She's acknowledging her position as a Gentile dog. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She understood that the blessings were going to come through. Genesis 12, 
He's going to be a blessing to the families of the earth. And he, she understood the blessings were to come through the nation of Israel to her. She understood he was their Messiah. She understood he was the one going to bring in the kingdom and be the blesser. That's why he's going to say, Jesus, then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole that very hour. What did Jesus, he's not recognizing her as a Gentile simply. He's recognizing her as a what? A believing Gentile. But yet, what did he say? I ain't talking to you. I didn't come for you. I came for them. Let's, we got to get them fixed first. Then we'll fix you. And she says, truth, Lord, you're right. But I need the help now. Zephaniah 3. It's right before Haggai. <laughs> you guys got to... You got to come on Wednesday night. We're all over the Bible on Wednesday night. Zephaniah 3, verse number 8, the Lord says, Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms, to pour upon them my indignation, even all my fierce anger. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. When Stephen in Acts 7 sees the Lord standing, that's what's coming. And yet, instead, he pours out his grace. So back here in Romans 1, by whom we have received grace and apostleship, I was one born out of due time, I wasn't qualified to be, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You and I are in the same condition. We were never qualified to be, a talk, to be addressed, except he killed off Israel's time past prophetic program, and he's doing something new today in the dispensation of grace in the but now. And he says, I have a disqualified apostle going to a group of disqualified people, and you know what they're going to do? I'm going to use them to bring glory and honor to me. And that's where we're at. Now, in verse 1, we're going to talk next time about the gospel of God. We'll get the gospel thing, okay? Because there's a, some stuff going on there. I'm planning on picking up pace. This is lesson 5. Planning, okay? I am not promising anything. You know, plans are great till the first shot's shot, you know. I watched that Ohio State-Wisconsin game yesterday. The first half was not planned. The second half was the plan, <laughs> you know. But anyway, Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that you changed the program and established the dispensation of grace. Gave us an apostle that we can relate to, that we can understand, we can commiserate with we can rejoice with and we just thank you for your grace and your peace and your long suffering and your mercy in your name we pray amen all right see you back